So I'm very glad to be here. Um, as a matter of fact, I got up early, went to a coffee shop. I was able to sit outside in January. Love being here in Austin. And as while well, I was drinking my fair trade coffee and after visiting the gender neutral bathroom, I thought it's great to be here in Austin where I went to grad school, went to got my doctorate. My wife taught French. We used to eat uh, Vietnam egg rolls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Great, great. One of the good things about being in a progressive city is that it also highlights the light that a church is. You know, someone just told me that, uh, a while back told me that, you know, a church is always kind of a foreign embassy. And uh, the light that Grace Covenant shines is an important thing in this community, becoming more and more important as our culture gets darker and darker. And parents come uh, to talk to me about their children, Christian parents mostly, uh, about their teenagers, and one of the things they ask about is how to share their faith. Parents are rightly concerned about how to pass this along. How do I influence my child's faith? The funny thing is it's not really asked as much as you might think. In their defense, I am a shrink. I'm not a minister, so I don't know that that comes up all the time. But it does cause me to sometimes think that if you were to balance a parent's, uh, most of the parents I see, their concern about their child's uh, understanding and knowledge of Jesus and the Scripture compared to their concern for their child's understanding and knowledge of algebra, there's sometimes an imbalance there that uh, I think is important to think about in terms of how do we really take the, uh, uh, be in, take the initiative in sharing faith and influencing our child's faith. You know, the Bible makes reference to a successful uh, influence of child's faith in 2 Timothy when Paul, speaking to his protege, Timothy, says, I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What a great testimony for this grandmother and mother the, uh, uh, that, that the Spirit of Christ that dwelled in them has also uh, lit up in their son uh, Timothy. But, you know, when it comes to actually understanding how this happens, how can we influence each other, how the faith is passed on, it's a little complicated. So one of the best images I know of is a good candlelight service, which you have here some. There's, if you've ever seen an Advent candle, like at my church, you have an Advent candle, there's four, remember that, the four candles, three of them are purple, one is pink, don't ask me why. And then in the middle is the big white candle that is the Christ candle, the Christmas candle, the light of the, of the world. And so on Christmas Eve at my church, we light the Christ candle, and the, the light has come to the, uh, to the world, and our minister then takes his candle, we all got our little candles, and he takes his and lights it from the Christ candle, and then lights the usher's candle, and then they come to each section, you know how that works, and it lights up, it's beautiful. The other great thing about a candlelight service at a church like mine, which is kind of a large church as well as this, is that people come that don't always come to church. Uh, the guys that come are people that show up at Christmas and Easter, tip their hat to Jesus, and then head off. And this past Christmas, I was, uh, where I was seated, there was a guy right down here, one row in front of me, right down here, who was in a leather jacket. I, it looked like he come with, came with his grandparents. It looked like he'd just driven in on his motorcycle from California. And, and he was having a good time. I thought he thought the service was going well. 
And so they had begun to light the candles, and in a large service, you know, it takes a little while for the flame to get to you. And uh, my friend down here, the biker guy, got a little impatient. So I heard this lighter light up, and he's lighting his candle. And he turns around and lights the astonished people behind him. Hey, you know, it's, it's a long evening. We've got to move this along. And that, to me, like anything else, is as, as good an image as anything of the difference between faith and ideology. Because, you know, no matter how much you stand up here and Matt preaches and, and people come and bring the Word and you listen, there are always going to be people in this room that think all that we're talking about is an ideology that still are not going to really know the mystery and the beauty and the intensity of the faith of Christ within us. So, um, uh, you know, what is a definition of faith? If we're going to talk about how to imp uh, pass on faith or how to influence faith, let's first make sure that we get a good definition. Some of you have already uh, thought of a good definition of faith from the book of Hebrews, right? Right? Hebrews 11 that says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm not even a big King James guy, but I love that translation. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a great definition, and yet it's not an exactly clear definition. Still a little mystery in there. Uh, what does that mean? So what is an ideology? What's the difference? Well, if an ideology is different from faith. You could define ideology as the ideas and manner of thinking characteristic of, of a group, social class, or individual. So if we were to think about what is Paul saying to Timothy when he writes this about his faith, let's see if we can hear the difference between faith and ideology. In Hebrews 11, the definition of faith, if you plug the Hebrews 11 definition into what Paul said to Timothy, it sounds like this, I am reminded of your sincere substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. But what if you meant ideology? What would that sound like? Well, in that case, Paul's words to Timothy would mean something like this. I am reminded of your sincere ideas and manner of thinking characteristic of Christianity that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Do you hear the difference? It doesn't have quite the same punch to it, does it? It's important that you see the difference because when I talk to parents all the time, it is critical that you see that ideology is, is something external. But sharing faith is sharing something from within. And there's a significant difference in how that's done and the effectiveness of how that works out. And it is important this morning that we want to try to differentiate those two things. Because remember, especially when you're a parent or a grandparent or you're dealing with young people in this church family, sometimes it's hard to wait for that little flame to show up in these young people, and we want to move it along. And you can't. It's an important difference. So with this understanding of faith, I do want to talk some about how uh, parents can pass on their faith to their children. How can parents pass their faith on to their children? Well, when I was th thinking about this and praying about it, it did occur to me, in all honesty, that this uh, passage written to Timothy could be written to any of my children. I have three grown children. My son and my son-in-law are both ministers. My youngest uh, is uh, a member of my son's church. They live in Chicago. Ugh. Pray that they will come, be awakened, and come back to Texas. But the point is, you could say to them, I see in you the faith that dwelt in your grandmother, Sarah and Sandra, and that dwells in your mother, Sally. 
and it would be true. Our children came to faith. We uh, did that. So I thought I would just tell you, how did we do that? How did we uh, share the faith or bring our children to faith? Well, I have some bad news and some very good news. The uh, bad news is that uh, parents cannot pass on the Christian faith to their children. This is not the same as an ideology. You don't teach it, hammer it, and, and punish them until they get it. That's not what our faith is. You don't exactly pass it on which is both good news and bad news. If you are an adult, and I've already talked to some this morning, an adult parent whose children have moved away from the faith or perhaps never really received the faith, that's not all about you. It's not all about you. But I also, uh, however, and this is important, I should also tell you that Christian parents are the most important influence on their children's faith. So you don't make it happen. It's not up to you. And yet, at the same time, there's nobody who has more of an influence on children than their parents. So how are we we doing at that, at influencing our children's faith? Well, I want to look a little bit at research on faith and families, but I I do want to give you some, uh, besides some hard facts about what this appears to look like is faith uh, travels through families. I need to make sure that I say a little uh, brief word about research on religion because you really have to be careful. Anytime you're reading statistics about faith, remember, you cannot measure faith. So you're never reading actually numbers about faith. So what you're actually uh, reading about is uh, is what's studied is called religiosity, which is really a really bad term uh, that, that really has to do with externals of behavior that might or might not reflect faith. So it's an ill-defined term that says something like behaviors and expressed attitudes or beliefs associated with religion. That's really what they're measuring. So don't go nuts over this research, but let me just tell you that there are some things that we do know about the kind of influence that families have on the faith of their children, or at least the religious practices of of their children. So with that caution in mind, let's look at American families' influence on religion. And there's some data on basically from 1970 to 2005, and it looks like this. Now, be careful that what you're looking at here is not numbers of Christians or percentage. Well, all you're looking at is parents, their young adult children, and are they practicing faith in the same way that their parents do? If they went to church, are their adult, young adult children also going to that same church? And you'll see that in 1970, uh, your standard Protestant, your Presbyterian and so forth, church had about a 59% young adults of uh, Protestant parents also went to a Protestant church. But by 2005, that was at 26% of their children were still involved in the same type of faith practice. Evangelical churches like this one and others, uh, in 1970, there was a 70% of our young people were going to the same practice, worship practice, and by 2005, 62%. Catholics went from 84% to 43%. What's funny, by the way, is that if you, if you do read this research, which is out of a book called Faith and Families by Vern Binkson, is that he actually, t- at the time, he was raised in a Christian family. By the time he was doing this research, he wasn't a believer anymore. Go figure. And, and he says, isn't this great that, that there's still meaningfulness in faith? 
And, you know, I'm looking at these, this like mortality figures. This is not good at all. But he thought, apparently he thought, can you believe that people today are still doing that religion thing? So Jewish families obviously have always had a strong connection, or at least those that identify Jewish. The two winners are Mormons. And by the way, I put other there. I don't know why I put other there. That should read none. None. Uh, I think I put other because I couldn't believe the other. But Mormons, when you might ask, well, that's not even a true religion, and, and none have actually increased in their influence from family to the faith practice of their children. None, uh, those parents that say we have no religious background, uh, could only retain 40% of their young adults to their non-faith, but they're winning now and have it up to 63%. So that's going uh, really uh, well. What's interesting about that is that it does tell us something about what you already know, that this culture is having its uh, influence uh, on our children and on our families, and it is obviously a concern for lots of us. But there's also uh, some things that this research tells us about families and faith. The first thing I should tell you is that parents have more influence than you might think. In a time when um, it's a common uh, ideology or at least thought to, to expect that parents are less and less influential on children, that's not true. Parents continue to have a very strong influence. One researcher said, we believe that the evidence clearly shows that the single most important social influence on the religious and spiritual lives of children and adolescents is their parents. One major research study suggested, and I think this is important, children responded best to parents who were unconditionally supportive, who provided consistent role modeling of religious practices. That's one of the main things I'm here to tell you. You can tell the difference if you work with parents for 30 years doing this over and over again. You can tell the difference between what it looks like to try to pass on faith versus try to push an ideology. I remember years ago, there was a guy who came to see me. He was a worker, his minister at his local church, his big church. And his teenage son spent most of the time with his mother. He and his mother were divorced, and he's now 14. And so he saw his father only every other weekend. And his, while his mother didn't require church attendance, obviously my patient did. And he really, by the time his son was 14, those of you that have 14-year-olds, you know, he began to push back. Big surprise. And he, of course, like any good parent, really tried to push this, and he ended up at one point in his front yard in a fist fight with his 14-year-old about going to church. This was not his plan A. Uh, to his credit, I do think he was a gun owner, and he didn't get out any weaponry, and yet, what is that? What does that say about that kind of anxious, go-to-church kind of faith, or at least what you'd think is a faith? that is fearful and, and anxious and pushing. You see the difference? Faith, again, but it takes a long time for that flame to get here. And maybe we can just make it happen. There's an important difference. We know that when, when parents are supportive and consistent in your faith practice, it makes a significant difference in children, not an intense pushing of an ideology. Another important finding is that a father's warmth and integrity plays a significant role in influencing children's faith. Now, I just read you a, a scripture that, said, that reminds us that the strong faith of a mother and grandmother was plenty adequate for, uh, to influence Timothy and other influences. 
So I'm not here to say that uh, for those of you that are single moms or a, a father that is passive or not even here, that there's like no hope. That's definitely not what we're saying. But I am saying here to fathers, one of the things I like about Grace Church is that there, it is, I come and talk to fathers. Men are here all the time. I talk to many seminars filled with women, and there's nothing wrong with that. Moms have always been faithful, but dads play a huge role and a great influence. One researcher actually put it, researcher said, fervent faith cannot compensate for a distant dad. I think that's overstating the case a bit, and yet there is much truth to that. Dads, your role in influencing children's faith is huge and cannot be ignored. Other important findings included grandparents play an increasingly important role in influencing faith. Those of you that are grandparents, like I am, by the way, isn't it great? Isn't being a grandparent the coolest thing ever? It's, those of you with teenagers, just wait. They will bring you grandchildren, and then it's all okay. It's all good. But for those of you that think that I'm kind of out of the picture, kind of on the sideline, um, your, your role, your consistency, your involvement in the faith more and more, especially with some of the conflicts and dissolution of families, has a big influence on, chi- on children and teenagers' faith. So grandparents play an important role. And a final note is that allowing teenagers and young adults the freedom of choice encourages them to follow their parents' faith practice. Now, you know, those of you that know me, you know that I'm all about that. But it's important to repeat, allowing teenagers and young adults freedom of choice encourages them to follow their parents' faith practice. I was talking, I think about three weeks ago to this uh, kid. He's 16. He was played for his church's youth band. And so, like a fool, I just asked, so what are you praying for lately? And he looked at me like, what? And uh, I said, yo, I mean, are you praying about this stuff we were talking about? He said, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not really a Christian. I haven't been for about two years. I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, your folks didn't mention that. Oh, I haven't told them. Don't tell my parents. They'll be mad, and then they're just going to lecture me. And, you know, he's probably right in terms of a lot of us would. That's important. Let's start bringing it up all the time. He didn't want his parents to know. It's important that you make sure that your teenagers and young adults, that they know from you that you know that you can't make them come to the throne of grace. Is that not true? Wouldn't we love to drag our children to the throne of grace? But you can't. I don't even think Jesus is as rough on me as I had hoped for. Don't you ever want him to just, Lord, make me not be such a fool all the time? And yet, no, he lets you just wander and come back to him. It's just crazy. You must not be any different. I will challenge you this way, because this, this is in my book, it's already written down. If you're a parent of teenagers, then I'm going to ask you this morning to think about at what point in your house, while they still live with you, will it be okay for them not to go to church? Now, I don't mind if that's late, like spring of senior year. I get it. It's important. But at some point, will your teenager have the choice in front of you to decide whether they want anything to do with this place or not. 
I think it's really important. It differentiates for teenagers that I am at peace and praying for your salvation and your continued growth in the faith. I'm not scared about maybe you don't get it and you got the wrong ideology. Do you hear the difference? But it turns out that parents who were more supportive and provided uh, consistent modeling, if they were supportive, sorry, if they allowed young adults the freedom and courage to follow the practice, the freedom is more influential than not allowing it. Do you follow me? So how can a parent influence their children's faith? What are some of the things that you really can do as a parent? Well, number one is to pray. Now, before you do that slight power down of, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, pray. Can I just remind you that that's not number one just by accident and because it's supposed to be. If we believe what we believe, then the only true action to bring that child of yours to faith is to ask the, the God of the Spirit of Christ to come and bring your child to Him. That's all you can do. Uh, not all you can do, but it's certainly the main thing and first and most important thing to do, pray. And if the balance of words that you are saying to your child about faith is nowhere close to the number of words you're saying to God asking Him to bring your child to faith, then something's out of balance. I've mentioned here before that it's the uh, ancient rabbi that said, up until the age of 13, I talked to my son about God, and after 13, I talked to God about my son. You must pray and seek God's influence on your child. Tim Keller said that, I'm sorry, I'm not going to jump there. So, uh, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And let the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4. Pray about it. My wife uh, runs a group at every Tuesday morning. She's up at this uh, local church running a group called Moms in Prayer. Do you all have that here? Progressive Austin, do you have that? That's a group that prays for all the school, the children in a given school every week, blankets that school with prayer. It's not simply a, a, a good kind of discipline. It is asking uh, God to bring His Spirit to our children and to influence them. Another essential element to sharing faith is teaching the Bible at home. You, you've, I know that you heard last week from here, Deuteronomy 11, you shall teach these, uh, these truths to your children at home. As you walk along the way, you must, your children must hear these words from your lips. We'll talk this afternoon, and I'll tell you, those of you who come to the seminar, exactly what happens if you don't. If you leave it to just this church, for example, to share all that. But here's the thing. I think it's important that you take seriously your own faith background. Some of us weren't raised in the church. Some of us, for example, are awkward with words like sanctification and incarnation. And maybe we're not used to that. Your children, especially your teenagers, they can tell. They can tell which topics you're like, yeah, well, let's take that to the big man upstairs. And Well, what about football? Oh, okay, here's the thing. They need a new, if without a def and then suddenly you're all about it. Well, this church is full of resource for you to learn more that you can speak the faith at home because your children can tell the difference. And it's critical that it be a part of your home life. Another important thing to do is to become involved or stay involved with a church home. Research calls that high boundary religion. That is, communities that stay together in their faith, that support each other in the faith. And it's very, it's, it's very important that you be here. 
And by the way, just as an aside, uh, being at home watching this on your phone is not here. That's not the same thing. So those of you that are watching this, uh, you need to be here, okay? You should come here. It's not the same thing. We'll talk about that this afternoon too. There's a reason why I'm a nut about that. But lastly, and critical to all the others, is that strengthening your faith is to strengthen your influence. Strengthening your faith strengthens your influence. That's where Tim Keller said, if we say, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't affect the way that we live, the answer is not that we need to add hard work to our faith so much as that we haven't truly understood or believed Jesus at all. It is critical, if you want to be more of an influence, start by seeking ways to increase the flame of faith that hopefully is in you right now. One of the uh, first things I might recommend is silence. There's probably never been a culture more distracted and constantly mentally busy with, with stuff that doesn't mean anything. And actually getting silent, uh, by the way, which means no device in the room, that's also something we'll talk about, but, but so that it's away from you and you can be still and silent and know God is a critical factor to you knowing and, and increasing your faith that is the flame that will influence your children. But above all, you must never forget that the love of God is deeper, stronger, more enduring than the strongest parental love you can imagine. You're probably a good parent. I know you love your children. But you know what? God loves your children more than you do. No offense. Yeah, actually offense. Go ahead. Yeah. More than you do. Your children, most of them are not even here right now. Well, God is with them right now, and He is always with them. The Spirit of Christ is with them. So when you have that panicky thing, it's critical that you remember that it's Christ, really the pre-incarnate Jesus that said in the Psalms, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, engraved, carved you in the palms of my hands. This is the Jesus that has instilled that flame of faith in you, I hope. And all you need is to wait for him to come and light that up in your children. Pray, ask for him, display the light that you have, and then wait. Because again, it's kind of a long wait sometimes, and you'll be tempted to pull out your little lighter. Just, just hang on. He will get there in his time and as he does it. So this morning, I encourage us to uh, take a minute and really uh, pray for that peace. My prayer for you as parents and grandparents and all of you that influence children and adolescents and young adults in this church, that you would also have that peaceful and yet bright, warm flame of faith that is within you to carry that on to those that are around you. They can see it. And many of you know that you can have an influence you never even thought was there. So pray with me, and we will ask and beg of the Spirit of Christ to give us that gift, a thing we cannot create ourselves. Father God, this morning we do come before you, and we welcome you into this room. Your Spirit is here. You have promised that two or more of us gathered in your name, and you are here. So we ask that we would feel the warmth and the light of your presence, that you would calm the fears of those of us in this room, 
who feel the shouldered burden of passing on the faith. Lord, it is not for us to do that. We praise you that it is not for us to do that. We praise you that you have given us faith. You have spoken to us. You have chosen us. We did not choose you. And we ask that you would do the same in the lives of our children, young adults, those of us, those that have are within our circle of influence. We praise you, Father, that we have nothing to worry about and yet much to see and rejoice in in what you do in your time and in your way. And we ask this, Father God, in your Son, Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.